All right, we're live. I'm joined tonight by John Roselle. Hello. John, go ahead and give us a brief introduction of yourself. Um, well, as you know, my name is John Roselle. Uh, aside from that, I just graduated from Miami University and currently unemployed. Awesome. It's a good <laughs> we're currently drinking your family cider. That's right. We, uh, we pull apples every year and make cider every year. Do you have apples on your property? Uh, we have apples on our aunt's property about a mile west. That's awesome. We have a bunch. And we have kind of a new orchard, but it's not fruiting yet. So, so you're, you'll be getting getting those in a few years? Hopefully. Sweet. Yeah. So you graduated. What's the next steps? Find a job. Or right, hold on, hold on. Let me go back. What is your... What did you graduate with? What was your major? Uh, I graduated... With a degree in art history. Okay. So it's basically just a history degree with folks in art and architecture. And what do you hope to do with that? I don't know. I just, I took architecture, architecture and art history to kind of just because, uh, well, I like, I was pre-med, so, mm -hmm. and I failed chemistry like three times. So I had to take whatever I could take And art history sounded like it was cool. So I took that and here I am. You are. Do you feel like you learned? Uh, I guess, yeah. What have you learned? <laughs> you, I guess, so you developed uh, a passion for art or did you already have that going for you? Uh, I liked <clears throat> art. I liked to like make art, but I wasn't like, I don't think I appreciated it very much uh, until you kind of like learned what like all goes into it mm -hmm. and like the thought behind it. But I think I have like a pretty good basis going forward. So, so do you think that's where art gathers some of its value, the work that goes into it or the work behind it or, uh, it's, well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it can, it's kind of in depth to get into, uh, well, go ahead. I mean, we got <laughs> all night. We're sitting here over a glass of sparkling cider. Well, Give me your theory of, um, what is art? What makes art valuable? Why make art? Well, art's like anything. Like this glass is art. Mm -hmm. Like this tabletop is art. Uh, so it's kind of like what isn't art, um, which there isn't really much that isn't art unless you count like the natural world around us, which I guess to the theory of, uh, I think it's Plato. It's one of those old philosophers that made the theory that uh, there's like a hierarchy of uh I don't know off the top of my head. It was on a paper I did a long time ago. Uh, but basically it goes like the, the highest, the highest, the highest art form is like the natural world that's created by God. And then it goes down to the carpenter, which like makes uh, a bed, a bed frame in the image of God. And then the artist who makes a picture of the bed frame in the image of God, mm -hmm. and it goes down from there. So, I mean, that's kind of like a classical basis, but going forward in like contemporary times, um, it's kind of a free for all really. Really? Yeah. What is your, why do you do it? It's, uh, Just, it's like a meditation. It's fun. <clears throat> it's freeing. Uh, it's exciting. It's just something you can do, like get outside or get away from people and create something. So painting is your medium. Why painting? Uh, it's, 
it's like a very direct medium. You can do a lot with it. You can like, you can create like a very sophisticated picture. It's like very realistic or you can create something that's more abstract. It's more like, it's like something you'd see in like, uh, with like a Van Gogh painting or something. It, it doesn't look like a Da Vinci painting of Mona Lisa, but mm -hmm. it's, it still has like some depth and character to it. You enjoy Van Gogh? He's a good artist. Did you go to that? Um, what was it? Uh, the, the traveling uh, or the thing that's <laughs> in every single city, like the Van Gogh experience. The yeah, I walk through and I have like, I'm not really sure about having an opinion on that. It's kind of like, I don't know. It's uh, I feel like you just see it in person. It kind of takes mm -hmm. away from the art because they're projecting it. Yeah, and, or, and it's all of his pieces in one place or what? Well, it's like looking at like a picture on Instagram, you don't really like see it for what it is. It's like, you, you don't see the physical object. You're looking at your phone screen. What do you think about um, images on Instagram or posting art or buildings on? Um, well, it kind of creates a, like, it kind of creates like a, again, a hierarchy of art. Like what looks good on Instagram is going to get copied because that's what like gets views and likes and followers and eventually money. So we're kind of like entering like a realm of, I don't know, like an Instagram art, art, uh, whatever. And it's, uh, I don't know. It what, just, uh, what would you say looks good on Instagram? Just, uh, I think there's like a, there's like kind of like a degree of realism that you need, but like certain amount of abstraction, like people love thick paint. People love people like uh stuff that looks real like people want to see a glass but they don't want to see like like the abstract value of a glass they want to see like the glass as it is itself okay. so like you paint the glass and you throw a little flare into it and it looks good uh i don't know if you've seen like people doing paintings of like probably oranges or tangerines or something like that mm -hmm. like just against a black background i mean that's art but like from what does it detract from art i don't know hmm. So is still life a, something that you see on Instagram a lot, like a style that you see a lot? Um, I don't, it's not like uh, necessarily like the genre of painting, but it's like the style. Well, it's not really the style. I guess it's like. Just because of the contrast between like the fruit and a background looks good on a screen or just. Well, like what looks like <clears throat> when you're getting talking about like what looks good, like what looks good in a picture is like the composition of the picture. Mm -hmm. But like. There's so how many times have you seen like a painting of like a road and there's like a little barn off to the side and there's some castles and some mountains in the background. That's like, that's like, it just looks good because it, that's how it is because it like follows a certain composition and that's just the way like your eye follows it. And it's like, oh, this is a pleasing picture, but it, it doesn't have like, it doesn't have like an original value to it. Okay. So when you post your artwork on Instagram, what value do you do you see in posting it? Or do you see that it detracts from your artwork at all or has value because it can reach a wider audience? Um, I don't know. I think it's kind of difficult to be an artist in today's age without having Instagram because how are you going to sell art if no one sees your art? And you're just like, as soon as you get on Instagram, you have like a like infinitely like wider viewer base. So, uh, 
I don't think it detracts or anything or necessarily adds to it besides like the additional viewer base. But I mean, I just post because that's what everyone else does. Mm -hmm. Do you have a method of photographing your art for Instagram? Mm, I just use my phone usually. Okay. I use my phone or if I'm taking like a higher quality image for my website, I'll use like a DSLR, I don't know, like DSLR camera, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, I do that and try to make it not have a bunch of glare. Right. What do you think about, one thing that annoys me so much in art museums is the lighting, like the glare on a lot of the paintings. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of difficult to get away with like having non-glare. Mm-hmm. because of the, like the surface of the paint is like relatively glossy especially with like classical paintings that have varnish on them uh, i don't know if you like really get away from it mm-hmm. hmm. what do you think about uh let's see this uh leonardo that just sold it's questionable if it is a leonardo the uh uh it's one with the orb the mundus uh, oh I forget what it's called. Uh, it's the dude called? holding like the glass ball or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think it's it real. That, like, uh, I guess when you Uh-oh. study art history, did you get into, what did you study exactly? Salvador Let's go Mundi. that way. Did sound Salvador Mundi. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All right. Um, did you, st- like when you study art history, do you look at um, particular artists? Do you just look at periods, a little bit of everything? Uh, well, it's like a super general education. So we kind of like look at what the professor wants us to look at. Mm-hmm. So for example, we had like, uh, an African or like a teacher who's like very into African art, um, especially like West African art. So we did that for like, like time period, uh, just, just whenever like, from now till then, basically <clears throat> whenever. Okay. Then we had like professors that are like super into photography or like feminist art, stuff like that. It's a very liberal education. Mm-hmm. Do you take other um, classes as well then? Uh, I took mostly like, art classes. It's mostly art classes, mostly like art history classes, writing and research. I took some uh, uh, classical classes like uh, about like Achilles and the uh, Alexander the Great, stuff like that. Really? Yeah. How are those? Uh, like the subject's interesting, but like the professor kind of didn't make it that interesting. I guess. I like that. <laughs> uh, it, it's like, it's a lot of reading, which like I'm okay with, but like mm-hmm. it's a lot of reading about like really, really dense articles and then like trying to like find something to talk about. So it's like, I don't understand this article, but I'm going to write about something anyways. And that's kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. So our last guest we just had on, we kind of got on the topic of classics and um, the Greek influence on like current Western culture, I guess. Mm -hmm. So like, is there value you take from reading those classics? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there's a lot of influence on Western European art from like ancient Greece and Rome, uh, or even just like the political political world or like the world in general mm-hmm. uh but like reading you can kind of see a trend in like i don't know like the subject matter like how like i don't really know how to talk about it honestly it's uh it's really interesting hmm. 
What was that? I'm stirred. Are we all right with audio? <laughs> we got on that. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. It's, it seems like we didn't get a whole lot of that education um, through high school, I guess. I think we read The Odyssey. That was about the extent of classic, maybe a couple Shakespeare or something. But mm. um, I don't know that we really got all that. Uh, what are you guys doing? Stay with it. <laughs> <laughs> Distractions. <Sorry. laughs> People moving all around over here. All right. Let's <laughs> try to get back. Let's I mean, pop another bottle of... Uh, can we do the, uh, the sizer? Yeah, let's do the sizer. Right. We'll talk a little bit about it, too. Uh, so this is, uh, this is sizer. It's, uh, it's apple cider and mead, which is basically just fermented honey wine. Um, plus like a bunch of brown sugar and dates. So it's, uh, it's not like super sugary, but it's definitely super alcoholic. A little more so than, uh, the cider, which usually runs about like 8% or so. And this stuff's probably about 14. So that's a good wow. sign. Here, pour yourself. Same one in my class. Smells good. That's it. Chart our glasses real quick so we can get to the next stuff. Mm. That is a little bit more potent than the other one. That's good. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> What's that? Myself a little more. Good stuff. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, did they have mead in ancient Greece? I'm sure they, they probably did. I guess that's supposed to be one of the first forms of alcoholic beverage that we consumed. Yeah. Well, didn't like in middle mid medieval days, didn't they drink like like beer instead of water? Yeah, I mean, supposedly they drink like a little bit watered down wine because uh of the sanitary effects of it. Some grog. Yeah, grog. That's actually, <laughs> yeah, on pirate ships, I guess they would mix, uh, you know, like rum or whatever alcohol they had with their water to keep it from going bad because they would just keep it in barrels or whatnot. It creates more volume too. Does it? How so? Well, like just having like watered down alcohol, you get more out of it. Oh, of the alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, oh man, could you imagine drinking alcohol as your... I mean, I'm sure it wasn't very alcoholic if it's like watered down wine, but still drinking it <laughs> all day long would have to be brutal after a while. Maybe that's why there's so many wars. That could be. <laughs> I mean, there. I mean, there's definitely a relationship between alcohol, drugs, and wars throughout all the time. I mean, they'd always send them out. Uh, you know, they'd get them drunk before battles, or even recently, like use pharmaceuticals before battles. It's pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. People used to fight over salt. Over salt? Yeah. What's this story? <laughs> I What's this one? I it's, feel like I vaguely well, like, know of this. But. Salt was like a pretty important resource to have, especially mm -hmm. like when like refrigeration wasn't a thing. Like how are you going to save your meat or like vegetables or whatever? Mm -hmm. 
So whoever like holds the amount of salt gets to live longer. Okay. So people used to fight. That's true. Them. Someone would have to fact fact check me on that. Yeah, I want to know. <laughs> no, no, no. I think you're accurate. I'm. I don't know what. Um, I'm having a hard time. Like what? That was my check. That's right. <laughs> you agree? Our fact checker said he agrees. Cool. I'm spot on. <laughs> um. Hmm. Yeah, meat. Meat. I guess like one of the theories. Um, do you know who Terrence McKenna is? Isn't he the guy who did the uh, Stone Ape theory? No. Yeah, yeah, he no. was. Okay, that's like one of his things. So he also he has this theory of basically like how um, the West went from like a psychedelic culture to an alcohol culture, and so he thinks that people like German people or some something like that um you know like medieval times they used to take mushrooms and whatnot <laughs> but anyways he thinks that they tried to preserve them um in honey mm. and they ended up getting mead and then they ended up kind of switching over to i think i've heard of that. alcoholic lifestyle and then there's like the is it the bavarian beer code or whatever germany actually set forth like an official edict that like beer can only be made of like three ingredients. I haven't heard of that, but I'm sure it's like yeah. something. You tell me to wrap this segment. Yeah, we'll wrap it. Wrap it. Yeah. And we're ready to keep going. <laughs> um, where were we at? Bavarian beer law. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, yeah. What about that? No, but I, I mean, like wine has been um, an important thing. Alcohol in general has been an important thing in culture for a long time. Yeah. And nobody really knows why. Like, you know, if you, it's supposedly relatively poisonous to the body. Yeah. To a certain extent. It's, uh, well, like it impairs you. So the more you drink, the more, uh, oops. Yeah. Um, but for some reason we like, we pursue it though. <laughs> like, well, it feels good. Andy is lost. <laughs> I, there's all, there's like a certain level. I mean, this, a philosopher wrote about like, uh, um, what does he say? Something about, there's basically he talks about being like the correct level of drunk, I guess, like where you're intoxicated and you're elevated versus being like just completely inebriated and not being able to function and he talks about like maintaining that level like how it opens up um social event like there's more social cohesion you're able to talk easier thoughts are flowing more freely and it somewhat like right. gets you out of your head yeah well i mean that's like certainly a thing i mean you drink a little bit and you feel a little better and you can talk a little more free mm -hmm. i guess that's why we're doing it right now i guess so. <laughs> I, I mean i really just wanted to try your homemade product yeah well, and it it's good so far that's a good thing <laughs> no i mean beer allegedly now they're saying that we invented agriculture to feed our need for beer that people were that hunter gatherers were already making beer with wild grains before we started doing agriculture i'm sure they have there's a there's a a native tribe in i think it's I forget where exactly. I'm pretty sure it's somewhere in Mexico, and I don't know the name of the tribe, but I studied them for my curatorial internship, and they, like, 
I think it's an annual celebration where they like make corn beer and mm-hmm. get like really wasted on it. That's, really? Yeah. What is corn beer? I have no idea. What would that be like? It's like mm-hmm. corn mash and you ferment like it. whiskey. No, it's isn't it whiskey from corn. Uh, well, it's like distilled. Or not. I, think, I know it's distilled, but yeah. uh, it like the mash starts from corn, right? Or no? Uh, Am I off? I'm pretty or sure. Or is it just like beer? No, corn is there's, definitely whiskey, right? Yeah, there's a liquor that starts from corn. You're saying whiskey? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, what? I don't know. It's not wheat. So is it wheat? I don't know. Maybe we should just move off of this topic. <laughs> I think we have a, somebody Googling it. Oh, cool. Oh. So your curatorial internship, what did you do? Corn. 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 Yeah. Whiskey. Corn. Whiskey corn. Um, For my internship, we just, uh, I mean, basically we had like a catalog of items or objects or artifacts from like the museum's uh, like back of the house. And I just researched them and wrote about them. What museum were you at? Uh, Miami Universities. Okay. So it was just the university's museum. And they just had like, it's uh, it's I forget what it's called. It's the global global pers- global perspectives exhibit, and uh, mm-hmm. it has like a little bit of everything. I did a African, South American, uh, pre-Columbian, and something else. I don't remember. It was a lot. It was fun. I got to learn a lot about a lot of stuff, and uh, I guess it was helpful. Tell us about something you learned. <laughs> See how much you remembered from your research. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, or like anything <laughs> interesting, or like a topic. Mm. Well, there's like a lot of artifacts that I know about, or like very, like very, like like surface level like knowledge of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of one. There's one, there's an African, African headdress for a king. I think, I don't remember the name of it. Uh, like a lot of things I don't remember, but it's, uh, the king is supposed to put on the headdress and it's supposed to connect them to like, like the past, like, like, like his ancestors. ancestors. Yeah. That's cool. So that's a cool thing. Um, isn't it strange how indigenous cultures have a lot of the same customs all around the world? Yeah. I mean, there's like certainly a trend in like our socio-political. Do you think that's just um, a product of humans being wired similarly, or do you think that they like had contact with one another? I mean, to a certain extent, we've all had contact with one another. So, uh, how so? <laughs> I mean, we all like, we all come from something and there's Mm -hmm. always like, there's like a certain stream that we all come from. Like all creeks and rivers go back to the same place. The ocean? Ocean. (laughs) (laughs) What? Which one? They're all connected, right? I'm not a geographer. (laughs) (laughs) No. That is interesting. Yeah. What do you think of the... Um, African influence on uh, like abstract art of the 
19, I don't know, teens, 20s. Mm. Picasso um, stealing African objects and such. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a touchy subject because, I mean, he did like use African mass. Like, like it's kind of, it's difficult to say like African because Africa is like such a huge continent. And like, there's like a bunch of different cultures within the continent. Mm -hmm. So saying like African, like, is like saying like European, like which country, but, um, Picasso definitely did use some masks, um, in his artwork and people like didn't like him for it. Well, people now, especially it's kind of like the cancel culture thing, but the only, like, I will support Picasso because like, you can't, I don't think you can like really like appropriate like imagery because like I can, I can draw whatever I want. Right. And I can use it in my artwork however I want. Um, like how he used it. Uh, I don't see, you, you can see the African influence, but you can't see like, like how it's used in the culture. And I think that's problematic. So as an artist, you kind of have to stay away from that kind of stuff. So you're saying that the imagery itself is not appropriation, but what did you uh, nail down on that point about the culture, I guess. So like he used the mask and uh, I forget what the painting is called. It's uh, the one with the like three women and the yeah. faces. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's the one. Uh, I don't know like the entire story behind it, but he like, so he used those like as models, like the mask as models mm -hmm. for the women. And uh, I mean, like the masks are like obvious. Like you see like the mask and you see the, like the actual mask from like, the whatever tribe or culture in Africa it's from. And you kind of like, as like a viewer, you wonder like, where is it from? Like, what's it, who's it from? And you don't like get a sense of that. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, I think that's the only problem. Like you're not like citing your work and like, okay. I mean, there's so many different like patterns and like lines and stuff you can draw. That's like, where, at what point do you like draw a line? So you can't draw this. And it's like saying like, you can't think this. Right. So, I mean, I'm... I think images are somewhat universal and somewhat transcendent of culture as well. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I mean, the whole the whole appropriation of the mask, like, there's two arguments, but I don't think... I think the argument against it is, like, a little weaker. Um, just being an artist myself. Because that kind of, like... What is the argument against it? It's just like the appropriation, the appropriation of just like appropriation is inherently wrong or, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I don't know. It's maybe it is wrong. Maybe it isn't like, oh, no, I'm, I'm asking that's what's framed as the argument against Picasso's use of the mask. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's framed as wrong. So why is it? So I guess the question that I would posit to that is why is it correct to build off of images that are inherent in your own culture and not to build off of images that are present in someone else's culture? Well, that kind of goes back to the, like, we we're talking about like the influence of like ancient Greece and like Roman stuff on today's artwork. Yeah. So if he was to use a Greek statue, but he's Spanish. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's because there's so much, there's a connection between like Europe and America mm -hmm. because like a lot of classical artists, uh, especially like 
Renaissance Italy, like their their stuff kind of ties like really securely into that era. It's Greek. Yeah. So you go back there and then you come to now and it's like, I don't know. There's, uh, there's, a, I think the world is more global now to a point where it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. So I would agree. So he actually stole things from the Louvre, right? Like, I mean, he never got caught, right? But he was, him and a group of artists were um, possibly stealing from the Louvre. I don't know if they were. I don't know. Okay, that's how I understood it. If he Hmm. did steal, like, well, you stole from a museum, but you... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There you go. uh, What's the other big um, issue? Like, because it was called primitive work? Yeah. Well, like, primitive, like, this word has, like, a connotation with, like, lesser... So, mm-hmm. like, it's not really primitive. It's just more abstract. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's like, the, the Western view on the African or, like, the, the male gaze except transferred to cultural. I wonder why um, in some of, like, indigenous artwork, why there's, like, elongated and exaggerated features, especially, like, physical physical features, facial features. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's maybe just, just how they wanted to draw it. Yeah. It's just kind of fascinating. <laughs> no, I didn't expect you to have the answer to that, but um, that's just something that's interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, like, I feel like there's certain stylistic trends, like, across cultures. Uh, I couldn't really, like, it, it's hard to say today because, like, when you talk about style, there's, like, there's like a range of styles. Like you think styles develop like linearly, linearly, but mm-hmm. they kind of like at this point they kind of develop like 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 lily pads in a pond. Like they're all over the place. So they like they kind of grow here and there and there and there. And there's like certain groups of styles that like kind of like develop from one another, but like they all kind of like sit within the same pond. Mm-hmm. So it's it's difficult to, it's difficult to say. I think that back to our point about social media and Instagram and things like this. I think that that is one of these things that's contributing to all different kinds of styles. It seems like anybody can find inspiration in whatever style they want to now. Right. Yeah. Or like even like in, um, I think we would see somewhat like secular, yeah, secular trends um, in like fashion or music and things like that. But I think right now you can almost see it all at once. Yeah, it's like, well, there's kind of like, like, what's the overall trend? And then there's like a bunch of branches off of that. So like, I don't know, people are like really into 90s stuff right now. But like, there's other people who are like really contemporary. Other people who like to dress like Abraham Lincoln or something. <laughs> so, yeah. Andy and I saw someone dressed as like a uh, 15th century, like monastic priest the other with sunglasses sunglasses on when we're in in LA of all places yeah yeah it was really fascinating all right we're back after a little interlude um John tell us about your art well that's a pretty loaded (laughs) Uh, take it away uh I'll start off with saying that I'm not very good at self-promoting um, because I kind of like to like 
work quietly. Uh, my artwork is, I mostly focus on the genres of like floral still lives or like landscape paintings. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, for the most part, that's my intro. So uh, how are you, how are you, uh, self promoting at this time? Um, well you can follow me at John Roselle art. That's J O H N R O Z E L L E A R T on Instagram. Okay. Um, I don't really like post super frequently. I have been because I've been like doing like some little studies here and there. I enjoyed your study. I like the one of uh, Litzenberg. Mm, yeah. Like the Ohio landscape. Yeah. In winter. I've been trying to like, I've been trying to like get better at like more like realistic, like naturalistic, uh, like color mixing, which is like, it's a lot of grays, uh, which isn't like, it's not like super fun to like mix grays. They're like, really close to each other but it's like it's uh it's very pleasing to like get the result mm -hmm. uh i guess my art like kind of consists more of like saturated color and uh it's more impressionistic one might say uh but impressionism i guess is like well, like impressionism like people using the term like the term uh kind of loosely because like there's the impressionist style which is like like quick loose brushstrokes and like trying to capture like a certain light of the mm -hmm. landscape or like a certain like feel. Um, but people can use it for like, even just like using like naturalistic tones and like having like a loose brushstroke, which is like kind of a thing on its own. Um, so I kind of jump back and forth between the two. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I don't really have like a set style. Like people, People are always searching for style, but like you can't really like it kind of just like comes like it's a uh, it's like your signature. Well, you like, just killed my next question because I was going to say, how did you decide upon your style or kind of craft your style? But I guess it still works. So, yeah, even if you don't have a set style, it still is your style. So, right. How did you develop that? I'm sure you still are developing that. But. Yeah. Well, like when you're like when you're looking, when you're starting out, you like you you have to draw like realistically because like, like we're going back to like Plato's argument of like, like God and nature being like the highest form of art, the highest form of art. Um, but the, so like the better you can draw something uh, realistically, it gives you like a better, uh, like <laughs> uh scope of like how you can like push and pull like abstraction. Uh, so like when you're looking for a style, you like you like look for artists that you like and like things that you like. Like uh, there's some artists I like, uh, Edgar, Edgar Payne, uh, John Russell something, John Russell Peters. He's a good impressionist artist. Uh, Monet, Van Gogh, all those people. Uh, Degas. I don't know. You can name a lot of people. I mean, I don't have like favorite favorite artists. I like I like pretty much all art forms. Mm -hmm. uh, so like you just take what you like and try to like. Put it to your own use and that's kind of what i did uh have you ever heard of tc steel you should no. check him out he's like more he's like a landscape painter um he did a lot of western landscapes tc steel huh? yeah the only reason i know is he lived close to bloomington where i was living for a while and his um home and studio is now like a state park it was really neat when was he like contemporary like 1860s 70s like mm. 1860s through yeah. maybe 90s 
like American, I don't know, kind of like pastoral and like Western. Yeah. There's another, uh, I forget the guy's name. I'm going to go on my phone real quick because I have it saved. Uh, yeah. But he's a really good uh, Western artist. Uh, here it is. Frederick Remington. He does. I don't know if you've seen this artwork mm. before. Oh, yeah. But he's a he's a really good Western artist. He's, I guess he's could be considered impressionist because he's kind of working in like the same time frame as them, but more mm. like American Western impressionism. Uh, I think impressionism is probably more dominant in the Western hemisphere of the United States, probably because like there's like I think there's more. Not necessarily more color, but there's like more, there's more, uh, there's more influence on the sun on the land, I guess, or of the sun on the land. It's like, it's more glaring. It's more bright. It's supposed to hear where just, it's kind of like it changes more. It's more tonalist. Uh, I think you get that kind of stuff with like in New York or like the far Eastern sides of the United States. It's kind of more abstract. I don't know if that's because like it's more built up, more like city-like. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. How do you seek out um, what you're going to paint? It's like uh, you kind of just like walk through an area. Like if you like see something you like, like it's kind of like it's almost like an instinct. Like you see it and you like it. You want to paint it. And then you're like, I want to paint this. Uh, just to yesterday. I think it was yesterday. I painted a landscape, uh, but it was just like the arboriters on my land. And mm -hmm. we wanted, I wanted to paint them because of the, like the light that was hitting was like really warm and, uh, uh, the composition was nice from where I was standing. It kind of like leads your eye into like the distance with like the arboriters are like blocking your view and they're kind of just like standing there. It's like these big dense figures and they're like, they're like leading you into the landscape, like far away. So it's like, uh, you kind of just find what you like. I heard you mention light a lot. That's a big component of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, light is color, so you can't really have color without light. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I mean, what is there if there's not light? You just kind of have a darkness and nothingness. So do you see, like, do you have to plan the time of day that you're going to go uh, out or is it all interesting to you? It's, 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 all, it's all really nice. Uh, I mean, the light changes really rapidly. So like the morning light is like kind of like softer, like more rosy, mm -hmm. like the sunsets are like more, uh, like fiery red pinks and oranges and purples and stuff like that. Uh, but it's, uh, it's difficult to paint because of like how fast it changes. Well, that's so. what I was going to So can you use photography to help with that? Or are you doing it mostly just by sight or? Uh, I'm like starting to get more into like plein air painting, which is like just painting outside. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you can use photography. It, it helps with like details. I wouldn't recommend like doing it off of solely photography unless you're a really good photographer and can like really get like, like really accurate colors and stuff like that. So I've heard there's this Van Gogh painting that he did during an actual storm and there's pieces of sand embedded in the painting. Is that the seascape one? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Like, do the condition, like the weather conditions have an effect on your painting? 
I think weather has a, like a larger effect on light than lighting does on painting because mm -hmm. uh, you get like different effects with different weather. So like if you have like a really high pressure, like bright, clear day, you get really fluffy white clouds and they kind of just like sink over like really nice bluebird sky. And it kind of makes like a nice, uh, makes a nice painting. Or you could do like really uh, like a moody, stormy painting. You get like gray clouds, like thunder clouds or whatever. So, yeah. Have I mean, you settled on a type of paint, like a brand or anything like that? Or is there a certain type of paint that you like to use the most? I use oil paints. So, I mean, I use a lot of different mediums, but oil paints are like what I use solely for like making compositions, like like big paintings that like I want to put on a wall. Uh, I don't really use a specific brand. I use a lot of gambling oil paints because they're like, they're like pretty affordable. Mm -hmm. There's higher, higher end stuff that you can use, but like I, I use some like, uh, Michael Harding paints. Uh, but like, I don't know. I didn't really notice like a distinct, like upgrade in quality. Mm -hmm. So I just like would it, use whatever, like looks good and feels good. I have a bunch of different brands that I use because they have like all the colors that they have are different. So paint is like such an art. I painted with oil one time and I had no idea, like all of the different things behind thinning it, um, how long it takes to dry mm -hmm. things like that. I mean, do you, do you thin your paint at all? Do you? Yeah. So when you're painting with oils, it's like you have to follow like a formula to like get like a clean image. So you paint dark to light, which is like, you know, your dark colors, transparent colors. And then you like eventually like layer up to your like most lightest, like your lightest and most opaque colors. Um, but you typically, because oil paints dry by oxidization, you have to, your lowest layer on the canvas has to be like the most thin or like the leanest, which is like, has the least amount of fat in it, which would be the medium linseed oil or mm -hmm. walnut oil or whatever is in the paints. Um, but yeah, you, you thin it, you have a thin layer, you have a fat layer, you have a fatter layer and it, like it, it dries more cohesively that way. Hmm. So yeah, there's so much of a science to it. Yeah. Oh, it's like, once you get it down, it's like pretty easy. Like you just you use this color, like on this base layer and then you thin it this amount and then you like build up and it's a, it's a process. So when you go out. What did you, did you say? Open air painting or what did you call it? It's plein air. Plein air. Plein air was a term coined by the French artists who like moved their studios outside because okay. they're focused on capturing the light. So what do you bring with you? Uh, like, it, like an easel, like what? Yeah. Is so your setup? I have a, I have an easel. It's called a French easel, which is like an easel that the French impressionists use because they wanted to go outside, but it's kind of like a suitcase and you like open it up and you have like a bunch of stuff you can put into it. Uh, you use your brushes primarily, uh, your paints, your medium, your solvent, your, uh, rags and stuff. So you can wipe your paint brushes off and, uh, your canvas. Hmm. And that's pretty much all you need really. Do you stand, sit both? Mm. Um, you can sit, you can stand my, one of my art professors, uh, told us that like standing like gives you more like vigor and life into your painting. Like it gives like you're more like, like you're able to like put yourself into the painting or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I usually stand, but it's like standing in like one spot for like a long period of time kind of like hurts. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah. How, so how long, I mean, I'm sure it's all different, but roughly, uh, how long does it take you to complete a painting? Uh, it depends on the size. I like to paint like on a relatively large scale because you can like get more, like more of your arm into it and get more gesture. Uh, so like the one I just did the other day, I, it was 24 by 36 and I started around 2 PM and I finished around four, but that was just a block in period. Mm -hmm. So I got like all the colors down, uh, in that period of time. And I have it like, I have it in a, in a place where like, I don't know if I want to like keep working on it or leave like some of it alone. So how do you know when it's finished? You just know, you uh, just know there's like the, the more you're like fussing over it, the more, like the closer you are to being complete. Hmm. So like, like, I don't know. It's hard to describe. Like when you know you're done, like you just know. Like, okay. Huh. What? <laughs> you follow art by Ara? I do. Yeah. I, I see you cool follow guy. him too. Yeah. He's really, he's I don't really know how, maybe I stumbled onto him because you liked something. I found it in discover or something like that, but something like that. He's, I think he's a Russian guy, but he just lives. Is he? I, I can't tell. Okay. I'm pretty sure he's, I mean, I follow a lot of Russian artists because Russian impressionism is pretty prevalent right now. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. What's the contemporary art scene like while you're on it? Uh, there's a lot. There's so galleries will have like, so galleries, like, like the curators or like the head of the gallery will like have artists that they like or like artists that will sell. Um, but like you have abstract and that kind of like, like, I don't know. It's, uh, it's like what we were saying, like the, like different styles in a pond, like, there's all sorts of galleries and all sorts of styles and all sorts of all sorts of artists. So like the, the contemporary scene is like pretty, pretty large, pretty difficult to muddle through. You just kind of have to find like your niche and uh, find where you like your art best sells. Mm -hmm. So have you attempted to sell in a gallery? Uh, if, there's some local galleries I want to reach out to and like kind of put my work out. Um, but I haven't like a lot of galleries that'll like approach you will ask you to pay them to like represent you, mm -hmm. which are called vanity galleries. And they like make their money off of the artist and not off of the art. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like breaking into the gallery scene is pretty difficult because you have to have like a history of selling with galleries. Mm -hmm. So it's like, a, it's like, how do you even start? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just have to be able to sell well. So like selling, being a salesman is like important. Huh. All right, let's wrap this segment. Yeah, go for it. Oops. Yeah, it's kind of a tough. Open. Oh no, <laughs> the cork broke. That's not a good sign. We'll get it in here. You had to make it interesting for the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get it breaking? <laughs> Oh, you got it this time. I can see it. Yeah. This might not end well. There we go. <laughs> All right.
Did you get it? <laughs> this is berry mead. This is berry mead, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I think it's cherry. I'm not really sure. Very red. Yeah. It's good. That's good. I honestly can't tell if it's. I think it is cherry. It might be. It's pretty weak, like the flavor of cherry. Yeah, I think this is cherry. Mm. Andy, you're gonna be in trouble because you have to try our wine too. Oh gosh. <laughs> you still got bottles over there. <laughs> you have to pass out on the floor. All right, so we actually are rolling, I believe. Um, so <laughs> we'll go ahead and talk to people other than us. Um, so do you want to show us some of your paintings? Uh, yeah, sure. I don't know that I'm going to be able to provide intelligent commentary on it. Like, I guess I don't even know. You know, I just like look at a painting and I like it or not. I don't know, like technically, what is the we'll yeah. work through that. Uh, I guess should I, just I liked that one. So can we see it from there? I guess. You can see it from there, and I think Andy, you can put this on the screen, probably like full screen, while we're talking about it. Yeah. Post. So, All right. so I don't know go ahead and ones. pick one. So let's just start with the sunflowers. Okay. Uh, uh, when did I do this one? I did this one. I finished it on the twenty fifth of November this year. Okay. So. I called this one study because uh, I was using my books as props for the vase. And I mm. thought it was kind of quirky. Yeah, I thought it was actually just a study. <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, it's kind of a study uh, because I was using like a different uh, like process of uh, like mm -hmm. layering the paint. So with this one, I used uh, my first layers were like with an alkyd medium, which is like a quick drying medium. But uh, Increases flow and increases drying time. Okay. And uh, as it dries, it kind of gets a little stickier. So I switched to uh, uh, linseed oil. So kind of like. Uh, so the the paint is linseed oil based. Or are you using that to thin it? So paint is consists of uh, pigment and sometimes a binder. Uh, usually just a medium, which is like linseed oil. Mm -hmm. Which gives it like the consistency of paint. Okay. Uh, so you add more linseed oil to like increase the flow, and you can get like, like I don't know where's a good example. So like, see like this kind of looks like it's scumbled. Like it has like uh, like a broken texture to it. Okay. You get like that uh, kind of application of paint over the two mediums. Hmm. I don't I don't know if they, like the mediums are like uh, if they're able to like coincide together because of like the drying time and like being two different mediums but mm -hmm. we'll see so that's why like i guess i kind of call this one a study because i was like trying something new um hmm. but yeah this is uh so would you say like your subject in this is in focus and what's going on in your background uh or not it almost reminds me of like a photograph how your subject is somewhat in focus and i see the background is not being as yeah, so I definitely take that into consideration when I'm, like, making a painting. Like, what is in focus and, like, what's the center 
like also like the central point of view. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this is like a square format, 24 by 24. So it's kind of difficult, difficult to compose a painting in like a square format. So it's just kind of like, like rule of thirds, like pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Um, but like my biggest difficulty with painting this was like, how do I like make the background interesting, but also like, uh, less, uh, not take away from your yeah. focal point. Yeah, so basically I just like kind of like uh just did like little splashes of like color. Yeah. And, like there's really neat work. texture there. Yeah. Uh also your Instagram is in French. Yeah, I uh I've been studying French and I just like put my phone in French to like facilitate that. Really? How's that or why French? And how's that going? Uh, so I had to take a language for my degree and I didn't really want to, uh, I didn't want to take Spanish. So I just decided on French because maybe I'll go back to French or France sometime. Mm-hmm. Have you been to France? Yeah. I, well, we lived in Belgium and like London and stuff when I was a little kid. So like we usually took like weekend trips to France, like uh-huh. Paris. So Is this is where this started. What paint? Yeah, uh, it might have because we visited like the Louvre and like and all the wine. Yeah, the wine and the paint. Yeah, it's making sense now. Yeah. So, because your dad was in the military, or why were you living over there? He was in the Navy. Maybe. So yeah, so I was born in Hawaii, moved to Boston. No, moved to D.C. then Boston, then London, then Belgium, then Ohio, then Wisconsin, then D.C. again, then back to Ohio. Mm-hmm. So it's been a long road, but I spent at one point in time, I spent most of my life in Europe when I was like five. What were those years like? Uh, you, were, you said you were only five. Well, we moved to London when I was five. So okay. I was like five, six, and then we moved to Belgium. Um, but like, yeah, when you're that age, you don't really like think about being like, foreign like living in a foreign place you don't mm-hmm. like you're just like kind of living somewhere and it's kind of like at that point you like move so often that you don't really it's just like like where are you going next like okay this is so, a cool house so when you're in the navy are you um so like you're schooling is it on the the base yeah so you're not in like belgian schools no okay they have they have like uh like local schools but we're on base schools okay. so we're in like an all-american school did you speak French at all when you were in Belgium? We had French classes, but like they didn't really teach us anything. Mm-hmm. I, the only word I remember from my French class was uh, pantalon, which is pants. Hmm. That's the same as Spanish, I think. I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. So do you remember any, like, is there anything that sticks out from being over there? Like, did you travel at all or any cool uh, memories? Yeah, I have a lot of memories from there. Uh one that sticks out, um, I don't know, there's a lot that stick out. I remember a place, I think it was, uh, I don't remember the name. I could remember the name if I had more time, but I don't. Uh, That's fine. <laughs> no, 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 just go. It's, it's all really interesting. Uh, it's it's hard to like, it's hard to like pinpoint like a really interesting memory from like your childhood because it's all, it kind of like, at this point in time, it like all like, yeah, like Andrew's saying, it all like binds together. Mm-hmm. And it's all like, it's all funny to look back on like, holy shit, I lived in like Belgium and stuff. And now I'm living in Ohio and continuing with my life. 
Yeah, I guess I maybe had heard that at one point, but I like didn't even remember that. I didn't really know that. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. It gives you like it definitely gives you like a different like different way of thinking. Oh, for sure. So where in France did you visit? Mm, off the top of my head, I'm sure we visited more places than one, but uh, for Paris was like the big one. Mm-hmm. We went to Paris like quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, we went to like, I think we went to like 14 different countries over there, just like on weekend trips and stuff. So You ever make it to Spain? Unfortunately, no. No. I really want to go there though. I love Barcelona. I lived there for about two months. Yeah. You did a study abroad, didn't you? Yeah, it was a, like a paid research thing over there. Hmm. Yeah, it was kind of like a study abroad <laughs> experience, but somehow I like got the trip paid for and was making a little bit of money while I was doing it. That's pretty cool. Not attending classes. so That's um, really nice, actually. Yeah, it was awesome. No, there, there really is a different way of thinking. I think... Well, for one thing, I think that um, the language that you grow up in completely informs the society you have and the thoughts you have. Even just some words aren't really available in different languages. So I think that's certainly part of it. Yeah. You have to like, you have to, you can't go on the same path you've like been used to going. Like you have to use like different, uh, different parts of your brain, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's different, different phrases and stuff. There's a lot of, I know when I was learning different languages, I feel like it unlocked a whole different level of creativity for me. Yeah. There's like, it's cause like, you're like, you're using the same like words, like words translate like similarly, mm-hmm. but like the words are different. So like, I don't know. They're like, I don't like, I don't, I have not like been studying like so intensively that like fluent or anything but like mm-hmm. it's like i don't know it's uh so my art form is more so like it's more words than images yeah um, i just never really was trained to draw or paint or anything like that yeah I, like i appreciate looking at it but um especially when i was studying spanish more you know sometimes i would write poetry in spanish but even writing in English, I felt like while studying Spanish, it unlocked completely different metaphors for me or like just different connections between different words. Yeah. Like you can, words that like rhyme in English don't rhyme differently in like, like say French. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not big into writing poetry. I like writing in French. I like writing. Um, mm-hmm. It's fun. But uh yeah how are you learning french right now mostly reading read i i read so i read like a lot of harry potter in french okay because it's a it's a lot of basic vocabulary and like like grammar structures and i listen to a lot of the audiobooks and uh like i think i'm on like book seven of harry potter right now mm-hmm. so like at this point i've like I've heard like the same like sentences over and over and over again. So I have like, I can like, I can understand like mostly what they're saying. And when I'm reading, I can understand mostly what they're saying. But like a lot of times, like the, like there's like certain like vocabulary that like you don't understand. Yeah. Do you ever have to stop and look things up? A lot. Yeah. Like yeah. per page, probably like 
average 10 times. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I find it, I found it always so much easier to read than to speak. Yeah. <laughs> it, it takes it's a lot just of a whole another level. Yeah. Cause you, yeah. Courage. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to like, you like when you're like speaking a different language, like you don't, you don't know if you're speaking it correctly, but when you're yeah. reading it, like you're just like, it's like, it's like pretty direct. I felt like I understood Spanish very well, but I was never really confident enough to speak it. Yeah. In Spain. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's almost a thing too, where like one, you're self-conscious about how you sound a lot. Mm-hmm. And two, for me, it's when you're speaking, there's almost no delay for me in Spanish. It felt like there's, even if it was just like a second or two second delay, it was enough that it was so uncomfortable for me that I just did not want to do it. Of just processing what they were saying. What am I going to say back? It wasn't like just effortless. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not able to like speak fluently at all. I can like, I think it's all about like learning phrases and like variations of phrases, phrases. Mm-hmm. And then like going from there. I don't know. There's something about learning it academically too, where you're trained so much on like what is right or wrong. Like we were learning grammar and things like that. So I'm almost over analyzing everything I would think to say. Right. Or right. Versus just doing it where if you're a toddler and no one's like, right. you know, you're not like consciously thinking about, am I doing this correctly? Yeah. Cause you kind of have to think about like, like where it is like the word he, it, she, the action verb or like whatever. I don't know all the phrases of like grammar. Um, but like, you kind of have to think about like where all the words go. Mm-hmm. Cause they're like pretty often they're like placed like differently. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Sentence structure. I, I'm sure it's similar in Spanish or in French, but in Spanish, it's not like the relationship between the subject and the verb is different a lot of times than yeah, it's in like English. I to you to verb or whatever mm-hmm. or something like that. At least in French. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I don't know. That's cool that your uh, phone is in that though. That's a good way to learn. Yeah, I mean, you kind of just like pick up on the words i guess i don't know were there any other paintings that you want to after that little detour <laughs> uh i guess we kind of talked about these these are like these uh last three ones i posted are like ones where i'm like kind of like studying like i really like that when you i mean there's not a whole ton of clarity to me i mean just layman me looking at it it's not a lot of clarity but i really enjoy that one yeah uh so i did this one like pretty late at night I'm not mm-hmm. really late at night, but it was like, well, in the wintertime, it was like four o'clock and it's like getting kind of hazy out and it's like kind of snowing. Yeah. That's what I think it captures Ohio winter. It's yeah. not that clear. It's not that clear. There's not a lot there, but there's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of interesting. Like when you like kind of develop an eye for color, you kind of like see like where the oranges and the yellows lie. And then like the trees are like, the trees are like pretty starkly gray, mm-hmm. but like compared to like the, the, the field and the sky, they're like pretty purple. Mm-hmm. And then uh, like the sky is like pretty gray, but it's like has a blue tone to it because of like just. Uh, so is there um, kind of a, I guess, a trapping, I guess what I'll use of overpainting something of making it look too light because it's almost like if you put something down, the mind can interpret it um, and you almost don't have to overdevelop what you're yeah. painting. So that's kind of like the basis of like impressionism is where like you, it's like, it's like the impression of the thing. Like it looks like it, 
or like it feels like it like it kind of has like the same structure and like lighting as it does in real life but um when you're like over painting something like this is pretty like quickly done like it's not like like it's not like overly done i would say it's not like oh no 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 that one's not at all i was just saying yeah i'm trying to find one that's kind of like this one this one's like this one's on the like the edge of being overdone Mm -hmm. uh oh what's up it's uh this we also only have 15 seconds so maybe if you can hold that thought yeah we have to break it all right we're recording all right do you remember where you were at there's something about i mentioned something about overpainting and impressionist style and yeah uh we were talking about like overpainting and artwork um so like like i was saying earlier we were talking about like when you know a piece is finished and overpainting is like just basically like going beyond that point and it kind of takes away from uh it, it takes away from like like the uh uh like I don't know how to phrase it. It takes away from like you're overworking it. Like it doesn't in an artwork that's like loosely painted. You want it to like look like like it like like it happened like at one point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you overwork it, it, it kind of like takes on. Uh, I don't want to say more complete, but it takes on a more. Uh, so I guess what I would say is. Um, me personally like the viewer is a portion of the painting right and i think that overworking sort of takes away a piece of what the viewer can add to the painting that they're looking at yeah so like like going back to impressionism and again like i don't really like using that term because it's like there's like there's impressionism which is like trying to find like trying to copy the light and then there's impressionism impressionism where you're like trying to uh paint loosely which is like i think it's a different style on its own but when you're trying to paint loosely you're trying to leave the viewer with uh, the ability to like like interpret some of the painting so like you paint like you paint like a like a dark line and a light line and like the, they would like to you it would look like 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 a like a physical object like in light mm-hmm. but if you like go beyond that point where like eventually it just looks like a like a cube or something like i don't know i don't know how to describe it okay i intuitively understand what you're saying but yeah i'm not really sure how to put it in words exactly yeah i'm sure if I was and me i'm only playing the the viewer part so that's my perspective of it right yeah but like yeah i mean the i try to find a good example of like like an underworked or like like uh, something that looks like uh, here. Like, look at this one. Mm-hmm. So this one, like, you can tell, like, it's a house. But, mm-hmm. Like, there's a. I don't know. Maybe this one is a little overworked. Um, so this one, if anyone's following along, the caption is a quick pastel study of the neighbor's house. I'll show it. Yeah. So like you, you're able to tell like what it is, but the, like there's like when you look at it like closely, like there's pretty few details in mm-hmm. like the shadows or like the color. Um, do you like using pastels yeah uh i like using direct mediums so like they give me the ability to like get color down like form down like immediately mm-hmm. and pastels kind of like facilitate that because like you can you get the shape and the color and the shadows and the lights down like really easily and they're pretty similar to like oil paints so i think they're like they're good they're a good medium to use uh 
similar to like Gauche. Gauche. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Olivia will probably she's sitting off camera, but she'll probably make fun of me. I like to use pastels as like chalk or like crayons. Yeah. And draw just kind of like a kid and just like literally just take a pastel, and just draw whatever. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pastel pastel yeah pastels are like they're a really good medium because they're they're like they're they're like refined enough to be like a medium on their own but they're like they're like reminiscent of like crayons and it's like childish but like there's like a certain element of like childishness that you want in your artwork mm -hmm. to give it like that playfulness um yeah, i think i feel like you see so much of that in picasso especially as he continued to mature in age yeah it's like almost just kept getting more and more yeah i think he's childlike he said something like it took me like 14 years to paint like a master and then it took me like 80 years to paint like a kid again or something mm -hmm. like that so yeah that goes back to picasso he's a really good salesman because i mean you have to break into the gallery scene somehow and like mm -hmm. he did it by like creating a style and like dominating the style um and after that it's just like marketing basically so i don't want to take any anything away from picasso like maybe he was a genius maybe he wasn't maybe he was just a really good salesman but uh i like his artwork i like some of it i don't like most of it or like all of it really yeah yeah it's probably a piece of both um i like i went to the picasso museum while i was in barcelona there's a lot of uh a lot of his kind of younger pieces and older pieces, things that weren't really in his prime. It was quite. Are you hearing that like staccato? Yeah, thing that too. So we so were talking about Picasso. I feel like we resolved that over the break. We had an extended um, interlude. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on Van Gogh? Um, his popularity or lack thereof during his um, actual living years. Yeah. Um, so like, as most people probably know, because of Van Gogh's contemporary popularity, um, he's like the like the standard tortured artist. Uh, he's like tortured for his craft or whatever. Um, or mentally ill. Yeah, mentally ill. Yeah. Uh, I think. Possibly. I just, yeah. Like he ended up in an asylum right mm -hmm. i think asylum at saint remy's or something like that um uh he's did syphilis get him i think gonorrhea did gonorrhea, well, gonorrhea like and it goes stds at like in that time period got every notable person yeah pretty much well he i think he committed suicide there's some like discrepancy if he like actually shot himself or someone else did um uh, but uh yeah, he was like relatively unknown. Well, he's not relatively unknown, but he's like at the time like impressionism and like post impression impressionism uh, wasn't like super popular. But his brother Theo was like connected with like he was a dealer. Right? Yeah, he was an art dealer. He was connected with like a lot of popular today popular impressionists like Monet and stuff like that. So Bengo was like in touch with like very very like high key figures. Mm -hmm. At the time, uh, and like the myth that like he only sold one artwork during his lifetime, I don't know if that's true or not, because there's like I've read stuff like oh it's not true, oh, it is true. Um, so maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But I think some of that had to do with like 
like a disgust for like materiality, uh, which I don't know if that's true as well. But uh, I haven't heard that piece of it. So yeah, I think it was possible that he didn't want to sell. It's possible. Like there's like do you, like what like is artwork worth money? Like mm. like that's I think that's the question. Like that they're trying to get at like what like how much are you willing to like give your artwork away for like is it worth like four hundred dollars or like five hundred dollars or like a thousand dollars or a million dollars did he retain his painting so it might have been like that nobody met the value of it or that he didn't see point in selling it or what i'm maybe he just saw it like as like a personal endeavor or he didn't see the point in selling it i mean he definitely like tried to sell it because he shut stuff off to his brother and like people actually bought his work mm-hmm but I'm not sure if, uh, I mean, I can't really say this because I'm not a Van Gogh expert and I've only read like one article about this, but he like, like, I don't know the whole myth about like him being able or not being able to sell any of his artwork. I don't know if that's like necessarily true because, uh, he was pretty popular during his time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was relatively unknown, like, um, like, like in a wider wider sense because there's like other more dominating styles of artwork at that time so he was well known within his genre yeah within his group like the impressionist post post impressionist group he was like he was like he was like a leading figure within that group but like uh it's like the wider sense of the world he's like pretty unknown and like Mm. today because like he like wrote so many letters and because he like completed like such a huge body of work like he's like pretty well known thanks to like some people like his brother's like really a connection like us to him right like a lot of the letters were collected and possibly published by his brother uh yeah Are they i don't think they were published by his brother i think he, well his brother died like shortly after van gogh did okay and i think his theo van gogh's wife uh uh, became like a proponent for like Van Gogh's artwork hmm. and actually helped like like distribute it and like make it popular. Uh, I forgot what I was trying to get at. Uh, but yeah. So he's like, he became, he was like relatively unknown and like today he's like super popular and like huge influence and he's like considered like the, like one of the most influential artists on like modern art. Uh, Why do you think that is? Um, it's just because like nobody like at that time has seen like art like that. So like everything's like dark and moody or like realistic. And then he just comes out and it's like, like colorful expressionist or, uh, like however you want to phrase it. It's like, it's unknown art in the time. Like people, they're not ready for it and they don't really know like how to react to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but today it's like, it's commonplace for art to look like that. And I think, we were like talking in the beginning, like about Instagram art. And I think like, I can't like say for sure about like anyone else because like, like social media, like surely is like targeted towards like your likes and dislikes. Yeah. So you like, you see, like you see a lot of artwork that is like, like based off of Van Gogh and it almost becomes like a quiche niche artwork form where it's like, it's texture and it's color. And that's like, basically it. like you're looking at artwork because it's not for the sake of the artwork itself, but for the sake of like the paint, like the the texture of the paint, the color of the paint. Hence, uh, uh, 
it's not it's not like it's not original it's not like super original like it's how hard is it to like slap paint on the like a canvas but uh, so originality has a lot of value in your mind i think so i mean like like I was saying, like how many times have you seen like a painting of like a trail with a barn on the side? Like mm-hmm. there's like you could paint that so many times over and over and again. It's it's always going to be like the same idea, the same the same composition. And I think like the endeavor of like into artwork is like to create something like not necessarily new, but like something fresh. So is there something? I mean, <clears throat> originality is a piece of it, but then do you all see a piece of it being um, like that physical work? As in not a copy um as in how do i want to put it there's value in the uniqueness of a piece yeah i mean like we're talking about van gogh like or not van gogh but like picasso or his artwork is like super abstract and he like kind of like shows us like the development of abstraction with like the bull like the Mm -hmm. bull paintings or the drawings that you're talking about yeah um yeah and i think that was off air but um Mm -hmm. Like go just like look up like bowl sketches, Picasso. There's sort of a progression of um more developed to less developed, more abstract um bowls. Yeah. All right. Um sorry we had a little bit of technical difficulties and talked off camera, but uh We're back. We're back. Um I said I was gonna throw you a curveball, but you didn't hear any of the previous conversation, so it still holds. Uh, what do you think about digital art and I guess the development of NFTs selling your art um, in that sort of way? I'll start off by saying that I have no idea like how NFTs work or anything about them at all. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, I like digital artwork. It's uh, I think you can like make digital artwork work in the sense that like you can get it to look how you want it to look like any way you want it to look like you can look, make it look like a super abstract or super realistic or like super like modern. And I think that's like the benefit of like being able to work digitally. Uh, but you definitely lose like a sense of like physicality with it, mm-hmm. even though, I mean, I mean, <clears throat> I think it goes like people who don't like digital art or the people who kind of say like video games aren't real, but they're, video games exist in, within reality and like like that's also reality so like digital art must also be real so I don't yeah know. yeah i agree that it's real i think um there's a human element to art almost like error that happens in art or just brush strokes i guess speaking to the physicality that you spoke of that i enjoy yeah i think like with digital art, you're able to like, like I don't know what it is, like undo or like the undo button or whatever, so you can like remove yeah. like like misdrawn lines or whatever. Like you can't really do that with physical artwork, so you kind of have to like pressure yourself into be able to like draw the perfect line. And you can do that with digital art, but like it it gives you like a safety net, and I think that's like also a good thing. It's like I have nothing against digital art; I just like the physical medium. Mm-hmm. Have you worked with digital art at all? Not really. Yeah. I mean, I've like on my phone, I've done like, like color sketches on like the notes app or whatever. And like, that's pretty helpful because I don't have anything else with me. So I can do that. Are there ways you could somewhat combine the two? Are there ways you could paint, take an image of it, 
and work with it digitally. Yeah. Well, I, I, in today's time, like digital, like digital art and physical art kind of like intertwine because you can work with a photograph, you can work with a color sketch you've done on your iPad, you can like make a color study on your Wacom tablet. Or, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but you like, th- like there's no limit to like what you can do with digital art. And I think that like really helps out physical artwork, but I think mm-hmm. physical artwork will always be dominant because it's like a physical object. And like, there's original element, like going back to originality, there's an original element to like, you bought this canvas and you painted on this canvas, but with digital art, you there's, it's a file and then you print the file and there's like multiple prints you can do. And like, yeah, there's like, all the prints are different, but there's only one original artwork when you're working physically. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess, I guess that works with the file, but I don't know. Yeah. Like if there were ways to, um, identify the file as like the one unique file or, yeah, you know, does that change anything in your opinion or no? I don't think so because like with like digital artwork, every, replication is the same in a sense uh but with like with an original artwork there's only so much there's only there's only the paint that you put on it that is like there and Mm -hmm. when you print out a print of an original artwork it's not the same thing right it's just the ink copy of it it's not it's not an oil painting with the same exact like vigor and like life put into it Mm mm-hmm Yeah, you definitely miss the element of the actual artist interacting with the physical piece of art. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't take anything away from digital art. Like, uh, gosh, what's his name? He's like the British artist who does like the landscapes. I'm not sure. I should know his name. I can't, but he's the first guy to like, like contemporary, like right now. Contemporary. Yeah. Hmm. He's, uh, he was like the first guy to put a digital artwork in a gallery. Okay. I can't remember his name. It's not people. He's probably the most famous, like digital artist right now, but Uh, I don't think that's who he's talking about. No, (laughs) I don't think he does landscapes. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So when you, when you're painting, I mean, you talk about nature, so you feel that your artwork can convey nature? Is that what you most often try to convey? Or some sort of like an essence that you feel at the moment? Yeah. Uh, I think I try to like, I don't know if I like really try to like convey a sense of like nature. I don't like chase the light, so to say. I don't. Like if I like like a sunset and I'll paint a sunset, but I don't really like I don't really like painting sunsets. Um, so I think what I try to like convey with my artwork is like a sense of feeling, like a feeling for like I, like you can't really like describe a feeling, but like mm-hmm. with the sunflowers, like I try to convey a sense of like like it's like morning and I'm painting the morning sunlight on the sunflowers, and I'm trying to convey that sense of like like stillness and like peacefulness and loneliness at the same time. And it's like, so would you say like doing art, it's almost like an impulsion. Would you 
agree with that. Yeah. For me personally, it's like an impulsion. And I think there is a piece of it where I do it just for me a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But there also is a component of it where I do like it to be shared. And there is something like I feel away in a certain time and I'm trying to convey that. Yeah. To an audience. I mean, I definitely do it for myself. It's it's uh, I forget who said it, but like artwork is like uh, it's like an ah, fuck, I don't it's like an addiction or something. It's like cigarettes. Like you have to like you have to like really go after it. Like you have to go out of your way to like get it and like do it and like feel it. Mm-hmm. But um, I definitely do artwork for myself. Like it's to, totally personal, like egotistical. Like I want it, I want it to be because I want to do it. And like, I want to be an artist and I want to make money off of my art. And I don't necessarily want to make art just to make art. I want to make art because I want to art make art like full time, like every single day of my life. But that's not totally possible right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not art for the sake of art. Yeah, well, I, it's because there's some people that that's their th- art for the sake of art. Yeah, I want to. I want to be able to make art for the sake of art, but at the same time, I have to be able to make art for the sake of like income and like being able to feed myself, put a roof over my head. Yeah. So like, there's like I have to like go through that. Until I can be able to like, until people like want to be able to like buy my art for the sake of buying my art. Mm-hmm. So there's like, I have to like pander to like a certain, certain degree of like pop culture. Like people like, yeah. like what we were saying. Like, yeah. How do you feel you do, you pander to pop culture? Like what is pop culture and what you're doing right now? How do you see that um, influencing your work? I think, well, we're talking about like texture and color and like realism. And I kind of, I kind of try to like combine the three where you're getting like dashes of like texture within like parts that need texture. I try to like, I'm trying to like make it look like it should look like I'm trying to, I'm trying to make the the subject look real, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to influence it with texture so like it pops out of you and with color i'm trying to like enhance the color like like none of the colors i use are real like they're not they're not super like everything we see around us is like a gray it's a gray with a like a little bit of like pigment in it and when you well, at least when i like like mix colors i'm using like more color than i should be using because it, like it makes the painting to me look better who do you think your audience is and do they understand that my audience is probably i mean my audience is like people like immediately around me at this point in time but like the people who like would buy my art people like people with like i don't know it's it's something i really haven't figured out yet so my question so like if i was in your shoes what i would struggle with is um do i make my art somewhat tailored to an audience because i need to sell it do i just make my art right the way that I want yeah. to make it? Um, well, I mean, the art that I make for myself is definitely art that I make for myself. Like, I want to make it this way, and that's how I'm going to make it. But, like, if I'm doing, like, a commission piece, I take into account, like, people don't necessarily want something to look, like, completely abstract. Like, mm-hmm. I'm doing a race car right now, and, like, with a car, like, you're you want to be able to, like, look at the car and be like, oh yeah, this is the line that leads to wherever. I mean, I'm not a car guy, but <laughs> yeah, uh, like the car is like sleek and has lines and it's like linear and like mathematical and 
you have to like comply with that nature of the car being how it is and you kind of can't get away from that unless i mean you're a really good artist then you can so for each commission do you kind of assess what you think the person wants uh it depends i'm kind of trying to get away from people like telling me what to paint i want to paint what i want to paint and uh with commissions like people would be like hey like i want you to paint me a picture of my pet i'm like i'm okay with that because i like i like dogs and cats and stuff and like like painting dogs are like it's fun because like you get the sense of like how a dog is like their personality do you actually get dogs to sit for you no (laughs) (laughs) i mean i've done like with like my bulldogs they they like they're lazy so like they (laughs) lay around a lot (laughs) i can do paintings of them or like Mm. studies of them and uh use those studies for final composition is a portrait of an animal similar to a portrait of a person very much so i think uh, especially in today's time where like people like anthropomorphize animals and like the animal has like a certain personality that you want to convey especially like even more so than humans almost Mm -hmm. so there's like there's like we're both animals but we can make art and they can't yeah it's probably more easy to characterize a animal as well definitely because i mean animals when you paint a dog like the dog doesn't know that you painted him right necessarily he, he knows yeah. that there's like a like an object in front of him with like colors and stuff on it from at least what i can understand and you don't know that they don't know that it looks like them but it does to the owner mm-hmm. and that's i think that's where you can get away with like abstraction and whatnot yeah Hmm. I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Battery's about to die. <laughs> um, thanks, John, for joining us today. Thank you, Claire. It's been a good Thank conversation. You, Thank you, Olivia. Yeah. It's been really fun. I did a lot. Done. <laughs> <laughs>